and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Yes, it is that time again for another glorious edition of the Man in the Arena podcast. Your humble host, Michael Shibley, with you here, the ace of Tennessee sports podcasting. We're back for another great episode. Hope you guys are buckled in because guess what? It's back to football. It is, it's been a crazy road to get to this point with COVID-19 and everything else going on. But the NFL is kicking off this week, as well as two of the three big boys, at least right now, that have elected to play college football. We're talking about the ACC and the Big 12. So we're going to make those predictions here to start the show. We've got a big show. We've got, of course, plenty of other things happening. Of course, the NBA playoffs are still wild and crazy. The NHL playoffs are great, as always. There have been some big developments, of course, in the world of professional wrestling that we always need to address. Plenty, plenty to get to. And of course, social justice happening in some of these events as some of the games in college football that kicked off over the weekend. There were moments of silence. There were knees taken. So it'll be interesting. We'll talk all about that in the second half of the show. Because of course, you had some of the uh, games play. Of course, you had Central Arkansas and Austin P kicking off in week zero. You had week one where you had some of the smaller schools playing. You had Marshall playing. You had uh, Middle Tennessee getting waxed by Army. You had Memphis and Arkansas State in a really good game. So you've got some really, it, it's just good to have football back. And again, I'm excited to see it. And again, I want everybody to be safe. And that's the big thing. As long as it can be played safely, That's what I'm for. I'm still not fully convinced we're going to have a full season because I still worry again that when the flu pops back in and things along that start happening, we could run into some problems. But again, that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. So we'll see where it all goes. But let's dive in, as always, into those NFL picks to start off. The season's going to start, of course, the champs are kicking it all off as they, the Chiefs are playing the Texans to start. Looks like there's only going to be, I think, about 16,000 people in Arrowhead. But this could be a really interesting NFL season. We'll see where it all goes. Remember, the NFL, they're getting paid. College, they're not. I keep beating that dead horse, and I'm going to keep doing it. You guys comment. Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter. You want to argue with me? I am all there. I'm all ears. Come at me all day long. I will take you out. Or at least that's what I think I can do. But anyway, the NFL, when it kicks off, remember, with the new collective bargaining agreement that they came with, we're still having 17 weeks, 16 games this season, but you're having 14 playoff teams. So you're adding one more wildcard team into the mix, and that means... You have only the top seed in in each conference gets home field advantage and that coveted buy. So you don't have one and two. It's just one now. So we'll see how all that plays out. But again, you still want to win the division because you still get home field for that, at least the way it shakes out. So I'm really interested to see where all this is going to pan out. But let's start in the AFC where really you're going to get your first 
kind of shakeup for the first time in a long, long time when it comes to the division because Tom Brady's not with the Patriots anymore. As many of you obviously know, he's gone down south to Florida to play with the Buccaneers. So now you've almost got this power vacuum to see. I still think, again, Bill Belichick's still there. So the Patriots are still going to be very good. I just don't have them winning the division this year. I've got the Bills getting the win. I think Josh Allen has become just a really good quarterback up there. The fans have just gone and rallied around him. I really like that. And, of course, he's got a new uh, player to throw to in Stephon Diggs, who is just a dynamic playmaker. So I do have the Bills winning the AFC East, moving to the AFC North, which is going to be a very competitive division. You've got, of course, the Ravens. You've got the Steelers. You get the Browns, you get the Bengals. So you got Joe Burrow there with the Bengals. I still think Joe Burrow, I think they're going to win six games. I think they're going to look pretty good. I think there's going to be a lot of promise there with the Bengals. But again, I still think they're going to come in fourth. I've got the Ravens getting the win in that division. I just, I really like Lamar Jackson. And again, I know I've we keep falling into this idea of just a f- flash in the pan, running dynamic quarterback that eventually people get the book on him. But Lamar Jackson seems special. I know Michael Vick seemed really special too. I remember watching all of that. But I just really like Lamar Jackson. I could be totally off my rocker, and who knows? With predictions, we'll see where it all goes. But I like the Ravens to get the win in a very competitive AFC North. Meanwhile, in the AFC South, I think with the Tennessee Titans getting Jadavian Clowney to shore up that pass rush, I think... That sewed up the division for the Tennessee Titans. I think, again, that they're going to be able to grind it out. They've got Derrick Henry. Tannehill is there to throw the ball and not make any mistakes. And now you've got a little bit more on defense with Jadavian Clowney. I think it favors the Tennessee Titans. So I'm going to go with them getting the South Division Championship. Meanwhile, out West, I can't, you got to go with the Chiefs. They're the defending champions. They've got pretty much everybody back. Mahomes is going to be there. Kelsey's there. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to run the football. I still think they're going to play solid defense. And also, to be perfectly honest, the rest of that division isn't that good. I think the Broncos could maybe give them a little bit of trouble, but not that much. The Chargers, they're breaking in a new quarterback. So you've got that, and then the Raiders, who knows what the hell is going to go on with the Raiders. So I just think, again, the West is the worst division in the AFC, and the Chiefs are quite possibly the best team. So I've got the Chiefs getting that division championship again, probably going away. They should have the division wrapped up, I don't think by Veterans Day, but pretty close to that. It could be at least by the end of November, I think they've got. uh, By Thanksgiving, I think they do have that division wrapped up, uh, and probably your number one seed too. Because again, I think the division they are playing in is weak. Meanwhile, my wild card picks, I've got the Patriots still getting into the playoffs. I think Cam Newton is going to be able to adapt pretty well, and I do think the Patriots have a really good defense. So I'm going with them. I'm going with the Steelers. I think if Big Ben can be healthy, I think he's got one more really good season left in him there. So I've got the Steelers getting into the wild card behind the Ravens. And then I've got the Texans. I think those are going to be just great battles. And I don't, again, besides the West, I think the rest of these, the East, the, the East, it's easy for me to say, the North and the South, 
I always those are just going to be really tough divisions that are going to go pretty close to the last week of the season to see who's going to be the champ and who's going to be the wild card in the AFC. Moving over to the NFC, you start in the NFC East. It's going to be again, I think, a very competitive division. And again, these were teams that I've just been kind of arguing over myself. This was a tough one to pick. So we'll see how it looks at the end of week 17. You guys can get on me on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere and tell me how wrong I am. Go to search the Man in the Arena podcast on Facebook. Find me there. And of course, Michael underscore Shively on Twitter. But as it looks right now, the East, I'm going with the Cowboys to get the division crown. I think it's going to be very competitive. I think it's going to be a back and forth battle with the Eagles. And again, the Eagles are going to be vying for that wild card spot. We'll see where that ends up. But Dak Prescott, I think, again, he's competing for a long-term contract because they've got him with the franchise tag. Meanwhile, Ezekiel Elliott's going to continue to impress and just be a great running back there. And then I really think their defense, that's going to be a lot more risk-taking. I think some benefits are going to pay off for the Cowboys on defense. The NFC North, this is just going to be... It's going to be one of those where I just don't know if anybody coming out of that division is going to win 10 games. I think you're going to have some 9-7 and seven kerfuffle and everything going on there. But coming out of it, I like the Vikings. I think, again, they're better on offense, which I really like. You've got Dalvin Cook running the ball. You've got Kirk Cousins, who can be reliable when he is. And I just don't think there's enough around Aaron Rodgers with the Packers to get another division championship. So I'm going with the Vikings in that one. Meanwhile, I don't trust the Bears, and the Lions are the Lions. So we'll see. They did just get Adrian Peterson, but I just don't think that's going to get them out of the basement in the NFC North. The South, of course, you've got Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and of course, you've got Rob Gronkowski. They just got Leonard Fournette. So they are loaded. They've got some great stuff on defense. But again, I just don't know if they're going to come together as a full team, I still think they're going to make the playoffs. But I've got the Saints with Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara and Emmanuel Sanders. I've just got them finding a way, Drew Brees maybe one last time, riding off into the sunset and getting that division crown and winning the NFC South. I could be way off my rocker, and I've been off my rocker before. It's been, it, it is known. So, We will see where that one goes, but I do have the Saints getting it in just one game over the Buccaneers. Meanwhile, out West, I think this is going to be another very competitive division. I've got the Seahawks getting it over the 49ers and the Rams. Again, I just, Russell Wilson, I've got him just just a little bit better than Jimmy Garoppolo when it comes to quarterback. I think, again, they're getting some good stuff on their defense. I just think, again, the Seahawks were right there with the 49ers by the end of it last season. The Niners were just a little bit better. And I think the Niners might have that that Super Bowl runner-up slide that a lot of the teams end up having. But I still think they're going to be good enough to make the playoffs. But I do have the Seahawks getting the division crown this time. As for my wild card picks, I've got the 49ers in there. Maybe it's a little homerism. I don't know. But I still feel confident that with that running attack and with Jimmy Garoppolo being just a great game manager, I still believe that the 49ers can get into the playoffs. Meanwhile, you've got the Rams as well. Again, I think 
the NFC West is just going to be one of the most competitive divisions we've ever seen in football this season. And again, you don't have that home field advantage right now. Some stadiums are going to have no fans, at least for the first month of the season. Some of them, just minimal amount of fans. So we'll see where all that shakes out with all of this. But then, of course, I also have the Buccaneers getting into the playoffs. So don't come at me just yet. I still think Tom Brady is going to be able to have a great run with the Buccaneers. But again, I just don't see it gelling into a championship. It's almost like what happened with the Miami Heat when you had LeBron and and D-Way down there. And they just they didn't win the title their first year. They lost out to the Spurs. So that's what I've got, or the, the Mavericks. I lost my train of thought there. Anyway, the, the Heat didn't win the title that time. So I just think that's what's going to happen. I think someone's going to jump up and bite the Buccaneers, and they're not going to get to the Super Bowl. It could be the Saints. It could be the Seahawks. I just don't see it happen. And I could be... I keep saying that, and I'm beating the dead horse. If I'm off my rocker, come at me week 17 and just point and laugh. Hit me up on Twitter. I will readily admit of being completely wrong, and I am happy to do so. Meanwhile, my pick for being the first pick overall in the NFL draft, so for the worst record, it's going with the Washington football team. There is a lot of crap going on in Washington, D.C. right now. Of course, the name going away. You've got the reports of inappropriate behavior from Daniel Snyder and some of the upper echelon people. Ron Rivera, I think, can write the ship. Of course, he's got cancer right now, so we wish him all the best going forward with that. But I just I just see just nothing great happening there. And then, if they do have the first pick, do they pick Trevor Lawrence? Or do they stick with Dwayne Haskins? We'll see what happens as that goes along. But I just think, again... The Washington football team, just so much internal strife. And again, I just don't think they're the best team going forward, at least this season. We could see. It might be the Lions. It might be the Raiders. We'll see. It could be a whole mess of things, but that's what I think. Meanwhile, for the Super Bowl, I've got going a little different. There's a lot of people that are picking the Buccaneers. They're picking the Chiefs. A lot of that going around. I'm going to go a little bit different. It's just something in the air. I don't know. Maybe it's just the way this entire year has been that nothing is normal or nothing is as it seems. But I'm going to go with the Ravens in the AFC and I'm going with the New Orleans Saints in the NFC. I think the Ravens somehow are going to be able to jump up and bite the Chiefs somehow. We'll see where it all shakes out. But then I've got the Saints getting the win. I think Drew Brees... And Sean Payton right off into the sunset one more time. They've been denied. They got the one Super Bowl over the Colts, but that seems so long ago at this point. I think they're able to ride off into the sunset one more time after being hosed a few times now trying to get back to the Super Bowl. So I see that happening. And again, people, a lot of people are wanting to pick the Chiefs to go back-to-back. There hasn't been a back-to-back champ since the Patriots did it back at Super Bowl 38 and 39. And we're up to Super Bowl 55 now. So it's hard to do. We'll see where it all shakes out. Those are my picks. I'm sticking to them. And again, after a month, we might have to alter some of them. We'll see. But we'll talk all about that, of course, on a later edition of the Man in the Arena podcast. Moving over to the world of college football. And again, ACC and Big 12 are kicking off 
it's good just to see, again, college football back. I love seeing it. And as long, again, as they can do it safely, bring it on. I'm all for it. With the ACC, again, a lot of this really is it's just Clemson's show. It really comes down that so much of it is just what's going to happen with Clemson. Of course, Trevor Lawrence is everything. You've got Dabo Sweeney, who has just been to so many championships as a coach now. You've got Travis Etienne at running back. It just feels like that's just going to be the way it's going to go. And I mean, yes, they lost Isaiah Simmons and T. Higgins and Jeff Scott. You, you lose those tools, but it's just going to be foolish to doubt Clemson when it comes to the ACC. Because again, you look top to bottom, especially in their division. I mean, Louisville has been solid, but I just don't see them getting over the hump there. Florida State, they're just not there with Mike Norvell. I think Mike Norvell can be very good is if he can communicate with his players better. But I just they're going to be better in the future. I just don't see it happening this season. So you have all of that. Of course, you've got Wake Forest, who can be a tough out, but Clemson opens at Wake Forest. So, you know, you've got Syracuse with, you know, Dino Babers there, who I really like as a coach. But again, Clemson's just top and above in the Atlantic Division. The Coastal Division could be a little bit more difficult, but i am got to go with North Carolina. Going with the Tar Heels, going with the old coach, Getting things done there. Yeah, they lost two starters off that defensive line plus their left tackle. But I think overall, you've still got linebackers like Chash Surratt, who are just great and dynamic players there at North Carolina. And of course, Sam Howell is going to be great. Jay Bateman, he could be a star coordinator. So look out there as well. So we'll see where it all goes. Meanwhile, Virginia Tech. We'll see, of course, this is the first year in forever they don't have Bud Foster on their defensive staff. So we'll see what happens there. They had a lot of young players that got reps, especially late in 2019 there in Blacksburg. They're going to compete for the division title, but I just see North Carolina getting the win there. Miami and Pittsburgh are going to be in the mix. We'll see where Virginia can vault after having another kind of tough year last year where we thought they were going to be better. It's just, again, I love talking college football. I could talk college football for hours, which we don't have. We don't have time to do that on this lovely program that we all know and love. I don't want to do that. I don't have to do that. But again, just looking through so many of these things. And again, Virginia got to the Orange Bowl last year, and then they got beat by Florida, which we all saw coming, and just how much are they going to regress from that season. And of course, you look now into the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is going to be a lot more competitive top to bottom. You look at just some of the big games, of course, they've got on their schedule. I mean, of course, it's all going to center around Oklahoma and Texas because that's what happens in the Big 12. They're at October 10th at the Cotton Bowl. You've got Oklahoma and Texas. Of course, you're going to have Bedlam. Oklahoma State is going to be right there. In the mix, they've got the Oklahoma game uh, with Oklahoma State Bedlam on uh, November 21st. It's in uh, it is in Oklahoma. Uh, or it's, I'm sorry, it's in Oklahoma City, so it's at Oklahoma State. So you've got these games. Watch out again. Iowa State's that sleeper. 
you have to pay attention because, man, they have just been solid for so many years. Campbell is a really, really good coach there. You know, Brock Purdy is back again. He seems like he's been there at Iowa State forever, just like Sam Ellinger has been the quarterback, it seems like, at Texas forever. So it's going to be a lot more competitive, I think, in the Big 12 than you're going to have in the ACC. We'll see where it all shakes out. But when you look at it top to bottom, I got to go with Oklahoma. I can't not go with Oklahoma. They've been the bell cow for so long. They keep making it to the playoffs and then just gagging it in the playoffs. Are they finally going to get over that hump? I don't see that happening, but I see them getting to the playoffs, especially if you only have the three you know, teams. You've got Spencer Rattler, who a lot of people are really high on. This is going to be the first time that you're not just having that transfer quarterback coming in there at Oklahoma. I mean, they've had three amazing quarterbacks. You had Jalen Hurts, and then you had, of course, two Heisman winners before him. So you look at Oklahoma. You look, the schedule seems to break pretty favorably for them. I mean, they start their season, and again, the conference schedule for the Big 12, they have a non-conference game. They're all non-conference games uh, this week coming up, but then their schedule starts September 26th. You've got them at Kansas State. Then you've got Iowa State. That's the big one right there. We'll see what happens, but it is in Norman. But again, with the smaller crowds, who knows where this is all going to end up. But they do have that away game at Oklahoma State and then at Baylor. And we'll see where Baylor recovers. Baylor, of course, lost their head coach. But I still have Oklahoma getting the win. They've got the big thing, again, when you've got a quarterback that, again, has a lot of promise like Spencer Rattler does have, but it really helps when you have all five starting offensive linemen back. You give me a great offensive line, I'll win with that all day, every day. You've got eight starters on defense, and their kicker's automatic, so you've got all that happening. But again, you've got someone with no ex- starting experience at quarterback, but again, with every all the other tools in place, Lincoln Riley has just built a phenomenal program there. I was excited to see what Tennessee could do to stand up to them. I still think Oklahoma was going to win, but I thought it was going to be much better than the last time they went to Norman. Meanwhile, it's then, again, just a clog behind them. I've got You've got Oklahoma State, Texas, and Iowa State right there. You've still got Chuba Hubbard, Taylor Wallace, and Spencer San- uh, Sanders. I'm sorry if I could read my own writing. They're at Oklahoma State. So they're going to be loaded on offense. It's just, again, with the coaching staff and everything that you've got with Mike Gundy there at Oklahoma State, can they play enough defense to stop anybody else? I mean, that's been the big problem with the Big 12 anyway, is are they going to be able to do that? They've just got, we'll see. But again, you feel like they have more experience this year. But again, you got to prove me wrong with some of this stuff. I just don't see it happening. That they're going to be able to stop Oklahoma. We'll see. Then you've got Texas who keeps saying they're back. They're still not back. I don't, we'll see what happens this year. But I'm not buying it until they can beat Oklahoma when it matters. And they weren't able to do that in the title game a couple of years ago. And they still keep stubbing their toe. But again, watch out for Iowa State. I think, again, they're just sitting around there. They don't do anything flashy. They're just that take your lunch pail to work and get everything done. So 
those are my picks for at least the two big conferences. I cannot wait to get my good buddy Trey Pack back on this show right before the SEC schedule starts. That's what we're planning on doing here at the Man in the Arena podcast. We're going to talk more football as always. Of course, we've got the new audio setup that we've got here. Of course, with COVID, we're still trying to keep social distancing. The best games over the weekend that we're going to have, they're all ACC games, they're all conference games. The uh, Big 12 are playing non-conference games, and none of them are really that inviting. But you've got Syracuse at North Carolina. I think that could be very competitive. Dino Babers just knows how to throw that football there as a coach. So he's got them ready to go. Duke at Notre Dame. It's just weird to see the ACC logo painted in Notre Dame Stadium. I mean, you've got Newt Rockney, as they would say, probably rolling over in his grave. Lou Holtz probably being just stupid as usual about it. You got Georgia Tech, Florida State. Used to be a lot better matchup. Georgia Tech still rebuilding, of course. You going from that option offense from two years ago to what they have now. And then you got Clemson at Wake Forest. So again, it's tough when you don't have a crowd of any substantial amount that can be that home field advantage. Because then, you know, Wake Forest, it's not a big stadium, but you get everybody there cheering you on against the number one team in the country. That's something to look forward to. So we'll see where all this ends up. But that's what I've got here for the first half of this fine podcast program that you guys are listening to. I always appreciate you guys listening. Of course, wherever you listen, please like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews. I would love you forever if you can do that. We're going to take a quick break, but we're going to be back. We've got shibbles and bits with a load of news and information. Again, you're listening to the Man in the Arena podcast. See you after the break. Welcome back, all you beautiful people. Yes, you hear the music. It's time for Shibbles and Bits, where we just go through everything else going on in the world of sports. Just a couple more things quickly. In the world of college sports, as we've been recording, we've had some different things just pop up, which is always fun when we're doing this live on how it goes. Uh, Southern Miss uh, Golden Eagles, they have replaced their coach after one game. Jay Hobson is out as the head coach. He's going to be replaced by co-defensive coordinator Scotty Walden. I guess when you open the season on a 32-21 loss to South Alabama, that, I guess, is a way to get you out. I just don't know, again, why you wouldn't have done that back either before the season started. Who, Who knows? It's just been a weird year, really, when you look at things. But only after one game, I guess... They just decided they were going to move it. So, I mean, they he guided to Southern Miss to winning seasons in each of his previous four seasons and appearances in bowl games, but they lost four straight games dating back to last season. So, I guess they wanted to. And it really didn't help that, I guess, Hobson interviewed former Baylor coach Art Bryles back in 2019 to maybe become in as the offensive coordinator, and that's when Art Bryles was still kind of toxic with everything else that had been happening at Baylor. So I guess that was their 
choice to just move on from there. So we've already got one head coaching vacancy. That was quick. Uh, meanwhile, on the social justice front, and again, thank you guys for tuning in to last week's episode where we talked a lot about that, but you had some things happen before games and even during games, which was really interesting. You had Eastern Kentucky in their game before Marshall. They went out and they were wearing uh, Say Their Name shirts and different things like that as they got off the bus and walked into the stadium. You also had Stephen F. Austin in their game. Right early in the game, they got the ball. They took a delay of game penalty, five yards. The whole team took a knee and raised their fists in the air. So you have these things. I'm interested to see if more of these things are going to happen as the season goes on, at least for the maybe the first game of each season. And then Trevor Lawrence, who has been you know, a big leader. And again, he's one of the biggest faces in college football right now. So I'm grateful that he's taking on a role like that. But he really released a statement uh, back on Sunday with five goals for the upcoming season. And he, of course, put this on Twitter with hashtag change. And the five-part plan they want in- to ensure all teammates are registered to vote and have November 3rd free from athletic obligations to be able to vote, which I think is great. I mean, I've been a pusher personally that Election Day either move it to a Saturday when more people are off work or make it a national holiday so everybody just can go out and vote because that's or expand early voting in all states because I know like my home state of Virginia they don't have early voting so you've just got to sit there and sit in line but whatever anyway everything else further discussions with university presidents and administrators to raise awareness about racial injustice and creative initiatives to further empower communities again you've got people who don't especially most university officials and the higher-ups, they don't really have to deal with systematic racism. So you talk to them, you at least make them aware and bring about some of these things. Also create community outreach initiatives, which of, of course are just wonderful. Those are things you should do anyway. Hold routine conversations about change between college football teams and police departments, local governors, community leaders. Build trust and empathy. On game days, wear shirts and make statements on helmets and jerseys and play tribute videos to recognize victims of racial injustice. So, again, this is all great, and it's great to see someone like Trevor Lawrence taking a lead in this. They had a great roundtable discussion. It was a players-only discussion on ESPN College Game Day over the weekend, including Trey Smith was involved in this at UT. And a lot of these guys were talking about how Again, it was the guy from Texas. I forgot his name off the top of my head, but he was even talking about, well, I mean, if he gets pulled over by the police, but he's wearing his Texas stuff, they'll realize that he's probably part of the football team or basketball team, so he might get more of a pass than someone who looks like him as a black person and is not part of that in different things. So, again, it's it's... A great discussion, and I wish more people would have this discussion. It just seems like everybody just spends more time yelling at people instead of doing things like that. So, again, hats off to these guys doing great things. Meanwhile, we got to move into the NBA and NHL playoffs, which are still going on and have just had some great drama happening. You look at the Eastern Conference in the NBA, the Celtics are up on the Raptors three games to two. It could have been a lot worse for the Raptors, but in game three, OG Anobi 
hitting that three-pointer with half a second, literally half a second left. He got the pass from Kyle Lowry across the court, and he was able to just catch and shoot. And Kyle Lowry did a great thing because he was being guarded by Taco Fall, who I think is six, or I'm sorry, seven six. So again, which honestly, if you had put someone like Taco Fall on Grant Hill back there, he wouldn't have ever made that pass to Christian Leitner across the full court. Uh, so Chris, but Christian Leitner, of course, had four times the amount of time <laughs> to make his shot compared to what OG and Obi did. But now, again, the Raptors are up against the wall against Boston there. Uh, crucial game six coming up. Meanwhile, Miami, they were up three games to nothing on Milwaukee. Milwaukee saving their season without Antetokounmpo for much of that game because he's out with ankle problems. And we'll see if he's going to come back for game five. But Milwaukee, their backs are really against it. So the top two seeds in the East really up against it. Meanwhile, you've got the Lakers and the Houston Rockets out west. They're tied at one game apiece. The Rockets, with their smaller lineup, got the best of the Lakers, but the Lakers came roaring back strong and took over on game two. Meanwhile, you've got the Clippers and the Nuggets, who just had a great game last night. And, of course, the big one was Kawhi Leonard with his block of Murray on that dunk late in the fourth quarter to preserve that win for the Clippers to take a 2-1 to lead. His middle finger, they said, it just kept growing, which, again, for those of you who know me personally, I could not have made that block. It's not because I'm short. It's because I have really, really tiny hands. So hats off uh, to Kawhi Leonard, and it showed there that he was worth every penny coming to the Clippers. Meanwhile, the NHL playoffs, the Eastern and Western Conference Finals just got underway. You've got the Tampa Bay Lightning up uh, one game to none against the New York Islanders, and then you've got... The Dallas Stars up one game to none against the Vegas Golden Knights. But my goodness, the semifinals, besides the Tampa Bay Lightnings, who knocked out the Boston Bruins in five games, the rest of them all went to a game seven, which again, playoff hockey is the best hockey, including Dallas knocking out Colorado in game seven in overtime. You talk about absolute do or die. That's it right there in a nutshell. And Dallas was able to get the win. My picks... For the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the teams, and it's not because they're both up one game to none, but I'm gonna go with the two teams. I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay, and I'm gonna go with Dallas, two Sun Belt teams who have to play up in Canada because of the bubble, which is just the way this year has gone. So those are my picks. There, couple of other quick news and notes. You've got the U.S. Open happening over there in Queens and New York, and it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's been great to have on in the afternoon when I've been at work, but, uh, of course, the big thing that everybody's noticed, and one of the just most knuckleheaded things you'd happen, Novak Djokovic, who was the only of the big three that were participating here in the U.S. Open because Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer both just withdrew. They did not want to play due to the virus concerns. He, he was the odds-on favorite to win. He had won, I think, like 20-some-plus matches, 26-0 and 0 in 2020. He hadn't lost yet. And the only reason he lost was because he uh, was defaulted from the U.S. Open. He was he inadvertently struck a line judge in the throat with a ball that he smacked in anger after he lost a game. 
he was playing uh, the 20 seed, Pablo Carreno uh, Busta, and then uh, serving break point at 5-5, and uh, he got outfoxed, and he secured the 6-5 break on the break point, and Djokovic, in disgust, just yanked a spare ball from his pocket and hit it toward the back netting, but instead of just hitting hitting the wall, the line did hit a poor line judge right in the throat. And again, the rules are when you do something like that, even if you quote unquote didn't mean to at that point, you still did. You still hit somebody. So judging by the rules that the US Tennis Association and the WT the USTA and all those different things and the, the the ATP, all the stuff, all the rules involved in it, you have to default somebody because it was something that happened like that, and you you can't do it. And you have some people online saying, well, Federer and Adal had done it, they would have played. Because again, sometimes Djokovic kind of rubs some people the wrong way. He's been also very anti, even though he got COVID-19, I believe, he has been very bristly about it. And it's just not the best optics when it comes to, uh, I mean, cause they were, fi- he was filmed dancing shirtless in a crowded Belgrade nightclub back home in Serbia. And it led to a number of COVID-19 positive tests and Djokovic and his wife were among them. So even though they were both asymptomatic, they still tested positive and can spread it to other people, as we've all talked about. So we'll see where it goes with all that. It took him a while to finally apologize, and of course he feels bad about it. And he did get over and check to make sure uh, that the line judge was okay. But again, I still think, really, by the way of the rules, if Federer or Nadal had done that, they would have been eliminated as well. I think they would have defaulted because that's where you have to enforce it that way. I mean, you saw what happened with Serena a couple of years ago with Naomi Osaka and the line judge. So you have, or, or the uh, the chair judge. So you have those things happen. It, it's just weird when you look though, when something like that causes someone to default and essentially be removed from the situation when you've got you know, Kyrgios, who is just a grade-A knucklehead, throws temper tantrums and smashes rackets, and he's allowed to keep playing, which still is a little ridiculous to me. But anyway, the U.S. Open's still going on. You've got the quarterfinals going. No more Americans left. Uh, Tiafo was knocked out by Medvedev. Uh, so you've got a couple of Russians. You've got a Croatian, a German, a Canadian, a Spaniard, and a New Zealander. So... That's who you got. Uh, oh, and TM's in there as well. So, you, I mean, you've got some <laughs> people. He's from Austria. So you've got some guys in there. But, I mean, it's really up in the air who's going to win it. Uh, if I had a pick, I don't know. Let's just go with, let's go with TM getting the win. He's the two seed. Um, and, again, I think he's got an easier path to the finals. But we'll see what happens. We will, of course, talk all about that when the finals happen. and who ends up lifting the trophy there in Queens on the men's side. Meanwhile, on the women's side, you've got three Americans into the quarterfinals, uh, which is great. You've got Brady Rogers and Serena Williams has survived a couple of just tough battles. First 
Um, she just survived against uh, Sakari in the previous round. And, of course, uh, against former champion Sloane Stevens, who had Serena beat in the first set and then lost to her in straight sets. So it's been a really interesting path for Serena. She's had to survive and battle. And, again, she's still trying her damnedest to get that 24th uh, championship, which would tie her with Margaret Court uh, for number one overall. So we'll see. Again, Naomi Osaka is on the other side of the bracket, so it would be really interesting to have Osaka versus Serena Williams uh, in the finals again, especially with no crowd there, like what happened uh, two years ago, (laughs) where uh, Osaka just was on the bad end of a crowd that was so pro Serena Williams that it kind of ruined Osaka's moment, as I've talked about on previous podcasts. So we'll see where it all ends up. Uh, but again, Naomi Osaka has been great in this thing. She's worn on her face mask a different name. Uh, she's worn uh, Brianna Taylor, Trayvon Martin, Ovid, Ahmed Aubrey, and uh, George Floyd on her face masks as she's gone in talking about again, black lives matter and the movement. So hats off to her going in as we always seem to wrap up the shibbles and bits segment with uh, the passing of another legend uh, over the weekend. Uh, This one in baseball, Lou Brock, the base stealing icon before Ricky Henderson passed away at the age of 81 He was one of the best leadoff hitters. Again, he was the best before Ricky Henderson just completely redefined what the leadoff person was. Helped the St. Louis Cardinals win three pennants and two World Series titles in the 60s. He passed away at the age of 81. Uh, They had, again, just someone who was amazing and no doubt a Hall of Famer. Brock's career took off after he was traded from the Cubs to the Cardinals uh, back in 1964. He became the Cardinals' left fielder, hit 348, 12 homers, 44 RBIs, 33 steals in 103 games in that first year in 1964. Won the World Series in 64 over the Yankees. It was amazing where Brock averaged over 12 seasons, he averaged 65 steals and 99 runs scored with a batting average above 300 in six of those years. So he knew what he was doing. He stole 938 bases in his career, including 118 in 1974. And of course, they were both broken by Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson, of course, uh, stealing career-wise 1,406 stolen bases, while Lou Brock is next with 938, just one ahead of Billy Hamilton. And again, even Lou Brock's record, or even any of these top base stealers, Tim Raines at 808 is number five, I just don't think those are even going to be touched because they've taken away so much of the emphasis on the stolen base because of the metrics and all those different things when you talk about how you play baseball now. And again, as someone, me personally, when I played Little League, I was always the leadoff guy. I loved being the leadoff hitter. I love being the leadoff guy in comedy. When we open a show, it's a paid show, I love being first up there. I love setting the tone like that. And I was always able, of course, to get on base and steal. I'd steal bases all day long. It was a lot of fun. I never got caught stealing second. I think I got caught stealing third twice in my career. So, stole home a few times, too, which was a lot of fun. But, again, guys like Lou Brock and Ricky Henderson, 
someone I fashioned my at least baseball playing style after. So again, rest in peace to a great one in Lou Brock. Into the world of professional wrestling, real quick as we wrap things up, thank you guys always for tuning in. Of course, again, like, subscribe, share, five-star reviews wherever you listen to your fine podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, wherever we have it. Wherever you listen, we're there here with the man in the arena. And of course, you can listen to my good friends with Geeks and Hair to the Earth, talking about a bunch of nerd culture there. You can listen to those guys as well, wherever you get your podcasts. As well, of course, as BRB AFK talking about a lot of video games. They just had a great interview with liberal redneck Corey Ryan Forrester talking about a lot of different things. So check those guys out there. You've got, I mean, just again, some amazing podcasts, including Sagas and Shenanigans, which is our Dungeons and Dragons podcast, which myself taking part, as well as my wife, Mrs. Shibbles, as a character on there as well. So wherever you get those fine podcasts, please listen to them. As well, we're just a lot of great friends of mine trying to make the world a better place by making some great podcasts. Now moving on to the world of professional wrestling in the WWE. uh, The big news really is the fact that I guess the best friends, Sasha Banks and Bayley, have split again. Uh, They lost their tag team titles at Payback. They couldn't get it back in the rematch. And Bayley has had it now with Sasha Banks. It looks like that will set up a match and some things down the line. The biggest news also coming out of the WWE was that Vince McMahon has come out and stated that because, I guess, he owns the rights to the wrestling characters that they play, they're not allowed to get, wrestlers are not allowed to get any more supplemental income from third-party applications. So, you've got, like, wrestlers who stream, say, on Twitch or use Cameo, the app where you can send out birthday greetings, anniversary things, you pay them a fee, which is interesting because like people like Roman Reigns, when he was out for a long period of time there due to COVID-19, was out making a lot of good money on Cameo and things like that. So it's it, to me, it's just showing, again, Vince's pettiness without letting these people earn any type of supplemental income. What will end up happening is I'm sure the wrestlers will sign some sort of release of some kind and they will, I guess, Vince and the WWE will get some sort of piece of the action, as always. But, I mean, the things like this have even brought attention to longtime wrestling fan. And one of the, uh, he was part of the uh, group that was vying for the Democratic nomination, businessman Andrew Yang, uh, who's been a lifelong wrestling fan and even brought out a lot of things talking about the world of professional wrestling and the idea of independent contractors. So he is not happy about what has been going on with all of this. So, and again, when you get people in politics noticing things like that, especially in an election year, that might not be good for Vince. As we, we all of us know who followed wrestling for a long, long time that uh, Vince McMahon a longtime friend of the Trump family. I mean, Linda was part of the cabinet forever, and Donald Trump has been a part of the WWE for. He's a member of the WWE Hall of Fame. I mean, you had those things. So, I mean, Andrew Yang talked about if he ends up being Secretary of Labor, which if Joe Biden is elected president, that is a very interesting possibility. And he's even talked about 
being and looking into the idea of the independent contractor, which we've talked about on this show or other iterations of this podcast before, where WWE, they're not employees, quote unquote, they are independent contractors, but they're not allowed to get other work, which you can do if an, as an independent contractor. So it's going to be really interesting to see where all that winds up. Um, and again, we'll see what happens with an election year happening and changes like that. You could see someone finally in the political world stepping up to Vince McMahon. We'll see. I think Vince could honestly uh, afford to be humbled just a little bit uh, out in the real world. We'll see where all that ends up. Meanwhile, AEW had their all-out pay-per-view, which was good. It wasn't one of the better. It wasn't one of the best ones that they've had because they've had some really good ones. But you had some great things. You have new tag team champions, as I think I predicted, with FTR defeating Kenny Omega and Adam Page. And it looks like they're done as Adam Page has continued his downward spiral and Kenny Omega might be going back to his cleaner persona. Uh, John Moxley retaining his championship. He did use the paradigm shift, but the referee didn't see it. So it's a great way to keep uh, MJF protected and he can cry foul while still keeping the title on John Moxley. Chris Jericho took a bath in uh, Vada Mimosas, which was very entertaining. One of my favorite matches was Hikaru Shida defeating Thunder Rosa. That was a great match. I would love to see more of Thunder Rosa in AEW. She is the NWA Women's Champion, but I don't believe that they are filming or wrestling in the NWA right now because of COVID-19. You had... uh, You had the Dark Order losing in that four-way match. One of the interesting things was Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. They needed to stop this match. This was one of those where it's like, oh, I don't know. They took a dive through a table in a last-man-standing match, but it was on concrete, and clearly Matt Hardy, who has taken a lot of bumps over his career, took a hard hit on his head onto the concrete. He still was up, but it looked like, again, the lights were on and no one was home. They were able to finish the match, but I just wish they'd kind of stopped it and continued it in another way, maybe on Dynamite or something like that, because Matt Hardy was not in good shape at that point. And then, of course, the Murderhawk Lance Archer winning the 21-man Casino Battle Royale, so he gets the next title shot at John Moxley. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. Of course, stick to all the world of social media. Look up... Uh, the Man in the Arena podcast, wherever you uh, are on social media. And then on Twitter, I am Michael underscore Shibley. You follow me. You can find everything there. I post video updates when big breaking news happens. And of course, you can just reply and laugh at me for all my predictions that I am sure to go get wrong as uh, the NFL and college football season goes forward. But again, that's going to wrap up this week again. Wherever you listen, please like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews. I would love you forever if you would do that. But until next week, I love you guys. Too sweet. Adios.